Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on this wonderful Trinity Sunday. I'm sure you have probably seen this diagram somewhere. I love to draw it on all of my classes. It is called the Shield of the Trinity. And it is a graphic depiction and explanation of the nature of the triune God. The Father is always God. The Son is always and fully God. The Holy Spirit is always and fully God. But the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. They are three distinct persons in one Godhead. Jesus teaches us this pretty clearly in Matthew chapter 28. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Right? You got it. Good. You understand the Trinity. But do you? Hardly. I don't. You can say you do if you like, I don't mind, but I don't understand the Trinity. The Trinity is something that we cannot really understand, and it is not meant for us to understand it. It is more of a confession that we make. I can say the words. I don't have to understand how it works. I cannot very easily understand the very essence of God, the very essence of God's being. God's very being himself is beyond my comprehension because God created me. I did not create God. And that, that, my friends, brings me a little peace. I can point to the picture, but I cannot fully grasp the meaning and the mystery of three and one. Now, we can use all sorts of illustrations. I've heard people use illustrations of water, right? Water is one, and it's generally a liquid. But you can freeze it and turn it into a solid. You can heat it up, and you can turn it into steam. Each one of these different states of water are still water. They are still all the same essential being. They are three in one. But it is just an analogy. And analogies always break down over time, some ways in helpful and sometimes in hurtful ways. You cannot have ice and steam and liquid at the same time. This you have in the Trinity. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at the same time, being the same God and also being separate. The Son is always God and He's never not been God. The Holy Spirit is always God and He has never not been God. God. The Father is always God. He has never not been God. The three persons are always and fully God at the same time. You can talk about the Trinity using an apple, right? You have different pieces of the Trinity. You have the peel, which is on the outside. You have the core, which is on the inside. And then you have the fleshy, meaty part, the tasty part, as we like to talk about it, in between the core and the flesh or the Again, comparing the Trinity to an apple is helpful in some ways, but it's hurtful in others, because the peel is only a part of the apple. You can peel an apple and throw part of it away, and now you only have part of it over here. You have two of them over here and one of them over there. You cannot do that with the Trinity. You cannot separate 
the person's out. The Father's completely God at all times. He's not just part of God. He's not just a third of the Godhead. The Son is completely and fully God at all times. The Holy Spirit is completely and fully God at all times. And our best attempts to grasp the mystery of the Trinity fall short. And that's only a start. That's only the essence of who God is. Genesis chapter 1, in a broad account of God's creating of everything, did you catch the reference unto the Trinity in verse 26? Let us make man in our image. Who's he talking to? And some people say, well, he's talking to the angels. No. God is using a majesty of plural about himself. This is, you see this in the Hebrew. He uses a majesty of plural. This is a plural. God always refers to him as a plural. Now consider the impossibility of how impossible it is to comprehend the volume of God. The Hubble telescope has sent us back pictures of the universe beyond our own planet. The universe just simply boggles the mind. We can see far distant galaxies. Astronomers estimate the observable universe. The observable universe, not the universe, the observable universe, contains at least two trillion galaxies. Two trillion galaxies. And our Milky Way is just one of those two trillion galaxies, and it is in itself 90,000 light years across and contains 100 to 4 billion stars, of which our sun is only one. And our Milky Way doesn't even obey the laws of physics. Its constant rotational speed of our Milky Way appears to contradict Kepler's laws of planetary motion. In order to make the math work, the high priests of Darwinism have assumed that much, 90%, 90% of the mass of the Milky Way is invisible to telescopes and neither admits any or absorbs any sort of radiation. The conjectured mass has been termed, get this, dark matter. Doesn't that sound scientific? Like it's really cool, right? In other words, the math doesn't work, so they have to make up mass to make the math work, but there's no God, right? There's no God. <laughs> Even though all of the laws of physics say that you don't know what you're talking about and you gotta make up math to make your laws of physics work, but there's no God. You people, you silly people, and you silly, your silly made-up rules. Give me a break. You know who's making up rules, right? Astrophysicists who, after they get to their PhD program, go, oh, yeah, we got a problem. Now, it works in elementary school, works in high school, works in college. You want to get a bachelor's degree in physics? Absolutely, it's going to work just fine. Get your master's, it's going to be just fine. You go and get your PhD and try to explain this to a kid that's got lots of really good questions. You'll be looking for that God-sized hole. We think, we think that light travels at 186,000 miles a second. That's about 6 trillion miles a year. Again, we think. Because we have these things called black holes, right? A black hole is a piece of space that is so dense that light cannot even escape. Light cannot even escape. Now, here's my problem. 
If light can't escape a black hole, that means light itself can be stopped. If it can be stopped, then it can be slowed down. If you can slow it down, you can speed it up. So is light a constant? Philosophy would tell you, well, duh, no, light is not a constant. But when you go to a physics class, guess what's a constant? Light. Why? Because they need it. They need it to work the math, which may be why the math doesn't always work. The speed of light changes. It would take over 158,000 light years, if light is a constant, by the way, it would take over 158,000 light years to reach even the closest galaxy to ours. And the universe as a whole is about 96 billion light years in diameter, and it is expanding. In other words, it's getting bigger as we speak. And God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit spoke this into existence. He just spoke it into existence. Think of how massive our God is. To put it very simply, the triune God is just beyond us. He is beyond us. And we've just barely scratched the surface of who he is and what he can do. But he has indeed, he has revealed himself unto you as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one. And on this Trinity Sunday, we confess that we believe this may not really understand it, but we believe it. That's what a confession is, even while it's beyond our understanding and beyond our comprehension, so far. Thankfully, our triune God is not only beyond us, but that he has promised to be with us. The very very last promise that Jesus makes unto his disciples in Matthew chapter 28 verse 20, behold, I am with you until the end of the age. What a promise. What a promise for the Lord of the universe to make to these tiny, tiny little insignificant insects of people that I will be with you until the end of the age. God is not some distant amorphous force out there someplace. He is not a God that who is too big to know. We know him as the God who comes to us. He has come to us. He is going to come to us. He has always come to us, and he will always be with us. This is his promise. He has bound himself unto us with this promise. Let's go back to Matthew chapter, chapter 3, I think. I should have wrote that down. The angels appear to Joseph in a dream. And in the dream, he tells him not to fear Mary's pregnancy. Rather, Joseph is to give the baby a special name, which, by the way, harkens us all the way back to who? Adam. God creates things. He gives them to man. He's like, name it. This is what Joseph does. He's filling the role of Adam. God says, I've made a child. I've given it to you, and I want you to name it. And you don't get all, all the freedom in this. This is what I want you to name it. But you still get to do it, right? Like a little child. I want to mix the batter. Okay, here, you mix the batter. I did all of the work and mix the batter, and when you're done with the cookies, they're like, look, I made cookies. Good job, Joseph. Jesus, 
this child will save his people from their sins. Born of Eve, born of the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God in all power and intensity and majesty becomes one of us. He becomes fully human. The Father sends the Son conceived in the womb of a woman by the Holy Spirit, three in one. Jump ahead 30 years and Jesus is now in the Jordan River. John is baptizing people who have come to him in their repentance. He looks up, he sees Jesus wading into the water. The Baptist resists. No, I am not baptizing you. I need to be baptized by you. Jesus insists. No. I know, John, this doesn't make any sense to you, but we're going to do this because it's right, because it's just, because it fulfills all righteousness. And what's going down there is John then scoops the water up and he dumps it on the head of Jesus. And at that moment, we see that the, 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 the skies rip apart. The Holy Spirit of God descends like a dove. We get the voice of God the Father. This is my beloved Son of whom I am well pleased. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right there in the beginnings of the gospel. And yet, what is Jesus doing in that water? What is he really doing there? He is being baptized. Jesus is taking his stand with humanity. Since I'm here, I'm here with you. I could be doing all sorts of other things. But here is God with you. God standing in solidarity with humanity, his righteousness, his sinless life, the purity of his mission in order to save us. Three years later, we see Jesus hanging upon a cross. He is taking unto himself anything and everything that would keep us distant from our God. He takes our punishment, the agony of our sins, the sorrows of our deaths, the, 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 the horrors of hell. He takes upon himself, which is a complete separation from God the Father Almighty. And a mystery beyond our comprehension or understanding, Jesus, the Son of God, goes through the hellish abandonment of the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all that we deserve, Jesus serves. And it's mind-boggling. The ever-living God suffers the consequence of our sin and experiences death. He does violence unto himself. And he does it for you. When Jesus rises from the dead on Easter morning, he is victorious over sin and death. He conquers all of those things that would separate us from himself. As the Apostle Peter says in a sermon from Acts, this Jesus raised up, and from that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted under the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. We believe, teach, and confess this because we have been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus told the apostles to do in our text, what God creates, he then names. And you have been named Christian, children of the Heavenly Father, adopted by the grace of God, 
Don't let anybody tell you that that's just some sort of a stupid myth. This is celestial math that actually makes sense. That our Creator loves us. He calls us to be His own. When that water was scooped up and poured over you, when these precious words were poured over your body, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, along with that name, you were brought into the eternal presence of the triune God and your sins were forgiven. Jesus living up to his name and saving us from our sins, the prophecy fulfilled once again in our lives. The God whose very essence is beyond us is now the God who is with us. And he continues to be with us. He has been with us since the very beginning. And he has promised to be with us until the very end. Paul says it this way. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was risen from the dead to the glory of the Father, that we too might walk in a newness of life beyond us. Yes. With us, absolutely, and more. Jesus speaks to us about making disciples by baptizing them and teaching them all that he has commanded. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So just as we turned baptizing in his name into being baptized, we have turned teaching into learning because that is what he has commanded. And how does that happen? It happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whether in a Bible class, or in a sermon, or in a devotion, or in a conversation, or a podcast, or a radio message, or wherever else it is that the Word of God has been taught, the Holy Spirit is there working and teaching and empowering us to understand and confess the mystery of a God who loves us. For example, Psalm 8, which we read earlier, King David looks into heavens on the stars and the moon and the sky. He's on the top of his fortress looking up. There's not nearly as much light pollution back then. Looks up into the massive sky and says, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? He sees the enormity of God. David sees the massiveness of God he believes that God is mindful of him. That he knows he's there. And that God believes that David is something worthwhile. And so he praises the God of your creation and mine for his very being, for his very essence. That just that I can be with that promise that you are with me now and until the very end. And while we do not fully grasp the mystery of the Trinity, we can, like David, confess it. And even while we don't fully comprehend how majestic and immense our God is, we can believe it, and we can believe that he is always there. And even though we cannot fully understand how the three in one is one person and not three gods, we learn for what he has done to us and we praise him for doing it. And while the mystery of the Trinity is indeed beyond us, our Creator is always present. 
through the exaltation of his Son unto the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and by the sacrificial gifts and the sanctifying presence of the Holy Spirit within our minds and our hearts and our consciences. God is with you until the very end of the age. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>